Welcome back to the Devin Kershaw Show. I'm Nat Hurst with Faster Skier. We've got a special bonus episode for you this week. We're proud to have Rosie Brennan, U.S. Ski Team member and World Cup winner on the podcast with us. She's coming off a breakout season last year and has had some more standout results this year. Rosie is from Park City, Utah. She is currently skiing for the Alaska Pacific University Elite Club Ski Team. And uh, you'll hear Devin... Kershaw opening things up with a question. We'll get straight to it. Pardon my audio quality as I'm bouncing around on vacation. And we'll be back with a breakdown of the first stages of the Tour de Ski in the next few days. This episode is brought to you by the Alberta World Cup. To all Masters skiers out there, the Rocky Mountains of Canada and the Masters World Cup 2022 are calling. This coming March, Master skiers from around the world will come together in Canmore, Alberta to celebrate a shared passion for cross-country skiing. This event will be a great opportunity to race in Canmore at the world-renowned Canmore Nordic Center Provincial Park. Go to mwc2022.com, that's MWC like Masters World Cup 2022.com. There you can find COVID plan information and airline and rental car promotions. If you register before December 31st, you'll also get a free pair of commemorative socks. So I'm just going to go right into it. Like, I think... The most impressive thing, well, there's a lot of things that are impressive, but here's just some stats for people that are listening. Like Rosie has always been a solid international ski racer, no question. But in the 2018-19 season, it was your first top 10. So you were 30 years old. Your first individual top 10 in the World Cup comes at 30, where you like stormed to a sixth place in Davos. So there's Davos treats you well. There's no question about Davos <laughs> being like a, a special place for you. First, first place that you got like an individual um, distance victory on the World Cup. And then also your first top 10 with the sixth place in 2018. But what was going through? Can you can you take us back there? Because I know you're sitting in Davos now, which is kind of the Americans base. And it's, it's my base too, all up for a lot of the winters. But in that season, the year before you've been dropped from the u.s ski team shockingly and you come out wasn't it after no maybe two years prior yeah no that's right um yeah sorry i was getting confused because like dallas of 2018 was like the 18 19 season so exactly yeah yeah Yeah. exactly so yeah so but so was i right i thought the year before that yeah yeah so you you come back you had a great training season of course and you were expecting big things, but like sixth place after you're again, like I, I'm just repeating myself, but you're 30 years old. You've been in this game for a long time. You've skied for a long time and you just wake up one day and you just stomp a sixth place in a world cup for your first world cup top 10. Do you have any recollection of that? Or is it just so far long ago that you don't even remember what day that day was like? <laughs> no, I mean, that's, the, it wasn't that long ago. <laughs> oh, no, I know, but so much has happened. Like we're in this court, yeah. we're in this Corona, like bizarro world. And anyway. Yeah. Um, I mean, it was just like, I guess I, I always felt that I was capable of that. So it was just like one of those moments where like, I don't know. I felt so justified in all my decisions and like the work I had put in, especially like, you know, I was an independent racer at that point. So like I had hired my own tech. I was, you know, doing everything, paying for everything on my own, um, trying to make things work. And, and I felt that 
I shouldn't have been cut. And so I kind of felt like that was, you know, <laughs> my, my statement back. Um, and so I, I don't remember, yeah, I don't remember it being anything like, I mean, obviously I was stoked. <laughs> I had finally done what I thought I was capable of. Um, but I think I was just like, all right, let's go. Like I, I figured this out, game on, let's do it. So yeah, I think it was more of one of those moments. Like finally the doors are open. I'm ready to bust through. <laughs> That, that's that's awesome I mean you breeze through a lot of like heavy stuff just now like especially like being left off the team having to hire your own support staff the financial burden and yeah. of course it's a huge motivator like I know that from my career once upon a time like it, it, you wish it wasn't because um it's not <laughs> maybe it's not that fun to talk about it but like yeah. when you feel like you have something to prove and you have a bit of a chip on your shoulder it does motivate you. There's no question. Like it's not the right way. Cause it's a horrible use of energy. Cause you're spending <laughs> yeah. so much energy where you don't need to, and it's inefficient, but at the same time, you, you can muster some just incredible things like, like you just described, but can you like, this is, I know this is like, again, like four years ago now, but leading up to that world cup season, like having that burden like was there anybody that you could talk to that or who is who is in your corner to help you organize that those sort of logistics because i know <clears throat> i mean i've been on the canadian or when i was active you know i was on the canadian team forever and you you get complacent of course you do like, yeah point, the whole support staff around you you just kind of float the lazy river honestly right and and you had floated that river as well <laughs> yeah and then all of a sudden you didn't you couldn't anymore. And then you had to, in fairly short order, in like a training season, try and organize support for yourself. Like yeah. who is in your corner in those moments? Not, I know Eric, like Eric Flora, who is an absolutely incredible coach was obviously there helping, helping yeah. you, but, but I'm talking logistics wise, like how, how did you, how did you navigate those waters? Yeah. You know, that's kind of the interesting. So that was actually the second time I had been dropped from the national team. Um, I, I was on the national team from like when I was 18 to roughly 20. Um, and then I was cut and then I made it back on in 2015 um, and then was cut again in 2018. So I, I had ex gone through that experience before. So I guess I was in some ways prepared. Um, but being older, I think the difficult part was like it suddenly became so much more of a life question like you know, is like, should I be moving on it? Like, is this the writing on the wall? Like your career's done, you should move on. Or like, you know, I was more having like that kind of like philosophical life discussion with myself, I guess. Um, and honestly, um, because it was post Olympics, like I, I had a lot of uh, club teammates that were kind of experiencing the same things, just like the natural process of after Olympic years that people go through. Um, and so it was really awesome to like, just have the support just to like, I just remember going for like long skis in the mountains and in, in the spring and just like talking life stuff with all my teammates and like, you know, really kind of sorting things out and putting things together. And I think, you know, at that, I don't think any, I mean, Keegan obviously retired that year, but she, that was like well-planned. It wasn't like because of a weird circumstance, but the rest of us, like all, you know, I think what kind of came out of that is we all decided like we had a team, a APU that was strong enough and we felt that we could do more than what we had shown. And so like kind of all of us just doubled down on our efforts and decided to commit like really hard to this, 
to skiing and to supporting one another and like being that that network for one another and so I think that was like a huge thing for me um just from like the more mental side and then obviously Eric was there to support us in that and to like you know believe make us believe that we could do the training that was capable to be world class um and so you know after that point like once I had made that decision there was just like not much that was going to stop me um and but the logistical part was challenging because you know like period one is hard because like there's races in the U.S. so like I couldn't take a tech from APU because they needed to help the APU athletes at the super tour um so like logistically it gets really complicated so I was like you know, emailing the few people I know in Europe being like, do you know someone that can wax skis? Like, please help. And um, finally, Oleg, who's, who is the head tech for the US, um, he found another Estonian that was willing to wax my skis. And so I hired him um, to be my tech. And then um, I will say like the national team, when you are not on the national team, they still like, you know, provide like, the logistics in terms of like you know here's the room and board we'll book it and then bill you and like you know here's the plane ticket buy this ticket so I wasn't like having to sort everything out myself um I did have like some help there um but I also I think one thing that I learned from that experience was that I I actually really enjoy having some independence and so I have spend more time on my own, like living in apartments and stuff on the World Cup than I used to. And I think that's just been like huge for me. Um, just hotel life gets tough. Oh. <laughs> um, and I'm just not someone that like thrives off being like going 24 seven with people around me all the time. I need like a little bit of space now and then. So um, I did kind of learn a little bit about that because quite honestly, it's I was staying in apartments a lot that year because it was cheaper than like the room and board that the, that the ski team provides. Um, and so, yeah, so that was kind of like a cool outcome. And um, yeah, the last thing I was going to say was just like, I guess maybe because I had gone through this experience once before, while it was like a motivator in the sense of like having a chip on my shoulder, I think more so, um, I think that was more motivator the first time around. I think the second time I just really, it just really sunk in that like, I couldn't put my self-worth in like what a coach, like coaches of national teams thought of me or like what team I qualified for and didn't qualify for. And I think I'd spent so much of my young career, like kind of defining myself by those things and like defining who I was as a person, like, you know, by what team I had qualified for. And I think this is really solidified that for me and so I think I was just finally in a place where I was forced to let that go um and honestly I think that's like what freed me to just like be myself and actually race to the best of my ability so I think that was like one of the biggest positives that came out of the whole thing oh that's incredible there's two things that really st struck out I mean now like with that with that story that I wanted to ask you as a follow-up question for that one you talked about that kind of like existential athlete question, <laughs> not like yeah. totally metaphysical, like we're not, we're not going back to ancient Greece here, but, but um, <laughs> from an athlete's perspective, you're 30 and you have to ask yourself that question. Like, do I want to continue this? Is this the end of the line? Is, th is this it for me? And I find it so fascinating that like, really you found, you found the answer in that if I'm, if I understood correctly, like 
out in nature doing something that is that is skiing but it's not skiing like we know it as professional well, i'm not a professional anymore but like as a professional skier like just smashing loops with a heart rate monitor and lactates and stuff yeah. but like out with your good friends in a beautiful landscape and really like sorting that out and was that also freeing to you like did you find it freeing when you finally came out of that spring or whatever and said like you know what i'm not done i i, I still have more in me to give and um and let's let's do this like what was there a freeing aspect there even though of course it's disappointing and of course you know what it, you know what the road back is going to be it's it's not going to be it's not all going to be rainbows and unicorns it's going to be some hard work and then the logistic pieces that you just talked about of course you knew that was coming down the pipe that I was going to take some energy but in a weird way was it like a little freeing to make that choice because like I can tell you like for myself there was <laughs> as a younger athlete especially because I I always love to play around in the mountains. And I felt like almost every spring, I'm like, what am I doing? Like, I never want to cross country <laughs> again. Like I want to just ski mountaineer and climb and like not do this. And then I'd come around and, but like, honestly, even though that's not even close to the same thing, um, there is something freeing when you kind of just decide, you know what I mean? Yeah. I don't know if you found yeah. that too. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I mean, I think that's like definitely a big draw to like keep going is just like uh, the lifestyle. I find really enjoyable. It, it makes me happy to be able to spend time outside and in the mountains. And even if some of it involves small loops and RA monitors, um, there's plenty of other hours that are spent, you know, in, and that's, what's so cool about living in Alaska is like, you know, that that's my backyard. Um, and so I, I, we get to do that a lot. Um, and so that is a motivator, but yeah, I, I will also say that the outdoors has definitely been like, a form of therapy for me as well. Um, I know like when I lost my dad, that was like the only thing that got me through was like being able to spend time outside and like just being able to, it's so much, I just find it much easier to process my thoughts when I'm like moving outdoors in the, you know, in the mountains, in the sunshine and whatever, whether it's on foot or snow or whatever. Um, so I, I definitely think that's like a helpful piece of the puzzle for me, for sure. <laughs> Yeah, no, that, that that's, uh, I think that's a common, that's a common thread that, that a lot, well, not a lot of people, but I, I can definitely see myself in those answers. I mean, um, I, I, like, I've not, I haven't lost a parent yet, but I had lost, uh, I had lost a girlfriend when I was younger, a uh, younger athlete that I'd been with for, for a bit. And uh, yeah, like, I agree with you with that, like finding, trying to wade yourself out of a traumatic experience and find yourself in, in, like true tragedies like the outdoors is and the mountains especially in that kind of landscape has really shaped who i am so i um i feel that the other thing i am oh sorry no no go nat no that that was uh i only had one small question we can come back to it give her no go go for it because i got i got a bigger question (laughs) okay okay well my last my last question was like um and maybe this is kind of not super relevant here here now because the that was more of a what we just answered was kind of a, a bigger one, but you also mentioned that like you had to hire, like you had to hire like your own technician. So I, I just like, I mean, and I know that from Chris and, and Hoff and some other people like friends of mine and that have come through the national team system. And maybe this isn't for you to answer. Maybe this is something like I can ask Grover or something over a beer like next year or something, but I don't quite understand why we, or not we, I'm Canadian, like I said, but 
So they would help you with the logistics in those moments that you're off the team, like help you like, this is where we're staying. This is how much it costs. We'll send you the bill. Don't worry about it. Plane tickets or whatever. Like this is, if you, if you want to just pay the bills, then that's fine. But then when it comes to preparing your skis, like I don't really understand how one more athlete can't just cycle into like a professional waxing team that they expect athletes to come with like outside waxing help because it isn't just come like in your case it sounds like it worked out great that Oleg knew this Estonian dude to help you out and be there with you but that might not be the case for every athlete I just think that's like almost taking a huge risk for the waxing team if you bring some random bro into into an environment which you know how tight-knit all ski technicians doesn't matter if you're American doesn't matter if you're Canadian Norwegians are the same I've worked with the Norwegian team. It's the same in there, just more people. It's like, it's cliquey. I mean, of course it is. They're a family too. Like we always talk about how like, oh, like we're a family and we travel together. (laughs) It's like we're brothers and we fight like brothers and sisters too, but we have fun. It's the same in the wax truck. Those guys work their face off. So that just seems like that, that to me is bonkers. But anyway. Yeah, I know. I mean, I I completely agree. And I, you know, it is an interesting system and honestly, what I will say is like, they are sensitive to that. And so that's one of the other difficult parts is like, I don't think they would just let you bring anyone in, um, which just complicates the equation more, you know? Yeah. Um, like I was lucky that Oleg helped me out. And, and honestly, the cool part about that story is that um, his name's Carl and he did a great job waxing my skis. And so the ski team actually ended up hiring him. So he's one of our full-time techs now. So yeah, it's that's a win for everyone involved. Um, but that's not always the case, you know, and yeah, and they definitely won't just let anyone into the truck for the reasons you stated exactly, yeah. which is, yeah, both a, a plus and a minus when you're an independent athlete. But yeah, I don't know. It's definitely, I think it's part of growing pains for our country as we kind of sort out this bigger, more successful team. And I hope we come to a better conclusion or like answer than what we have, because it's definitely not super sustainable for athletes that are trying to make the jump to World Cup. So. Yeah. No, that's See, good. We both, we both agree on that. The U S you know how much I love you guys. The staff, <laughs> I can't I have nothing but glowing things to say, but this one piece bringing independent weird waxers into your waxing team just complicates things so much more. It would almost be better. Just the U S ski team hires one more staff that they're comfortable with. Yeah. And if they have to pass those costs down to independent athletes, sorry. That, maybe was, that's that was my recommendation. Yeah. So. And that's, and that's a recommendation I would, I would like, I, I'm right there behind you with the, the baton spinning it around and singing whatever cheer we have to do to make that happen. Cause I think that's a better solution. Okay. Nat fire, fire away, buddy. Yeah. So um, I'm going to ask sort of a, a question and maybe I wonder if this is a question actually for both of you guys, because I think it would be interesting to get your perspective on this too, Devin and, and Rosie also, this one is like, I think it is a little sensitive. So if you got to wait until after the Olympics to answer it, you can totally feel free to take a pass. But um, I mean, you know, like I think Rosie, you and I are pretty much like the same age. Like we were racing on the Eastern Collegiate Circuit at the same time. You were probably racing faster than I was at the same time, um, not comparatively, but in like absolute terms. But, um, you know, I worked for faster skier right after college and kind of right when you were coming into that like um, world cup level of competition. And there, you know, has always been this, like, I mean, at that time there was a lot of discussion around like, you know, should Americans be going to college and racing on the college circuit? Because that's a really important time, like developmentally. And are you wasting your time 
in college, if you're like getting a degree and the US ski team being kind of, um, you know, kind of giving a little bit of a cold shoulder to folks that have chosen that route. And then also just sort of following your career and seeing like, look, you know, the US, the US ski team, I feel like they're known for having this like really kind of disciplined, I don't want to say cutthroat or ruthless, but it's just like a very sort of like, you know, it's like my sense is like, they have the the chart for like where your fist points and results have to be like on the pipeline. And if you fall off that kind of chart at any point, it's like, look, um, and, and I'm, I'm pretty sympathetic to this argument. I mean, maybe more sympathetic than I should be or, or than maybe other folks are, but like, if you fall off that pipeline, it's just like, look, we only have so much money. We're only, you know, we can only afford to invest in a, a very small number of athletes. And so, you know, I guess I'm curious, like Rosie, for your perspective on like, you know, those times when you were dropped, I mean, you were, I think you simply said, like, you didn't feel like you should have been dropped, I think, that second time. But I also wonder sort of how, you know, do you see a better way for the ski team to be kind of making some of those decisions around who gets support and how? Um, or, you know, can you kind of simultaneously, like, feel like at a personal level, that decision didn't make sense, but you can also kind of understand where they're coming from, where like, they're not in Norway. And at a certain point it's like, yeah, you might, you know, one in 10 athletes that gets dropped and that has a season, you know, like a not great season might end up back on your path where actually you're on the podium and kind of crushing world cups, but most people are actually not going to be able to do that. That was kind of a long winded question, but I just kind of wonder about your thoughts on that kind of whole realm of, of decisions that coaches are faced with yeah yeah no I'm happy to talk about that um and and I do completely agree like you know you have to draw the line somewhere and and you have to make those hard decisions and I don't know if anyone I mean n- nobody has figured out you know what the perfect formula is that makes a successful athlete and I mean I personally believe there isn't one I think everyone has like their own peaks and valleys and like trying to navigate that as a as a governing body is super difficult. So I am actually, um, quite sympathetic to that. And, you know, it's, the process has changed a lot since, since I have started skiing and, um, both like both times that I have been cut, the team was like almost all discretion based. Like it was very, there was like some objective world cup criteria for a team, but the rest of it was like largely discretion, which, you know, that does make things a little more difficult because it's, it's really hard to not take it personally then because it's like they personally selected you and then they personally cut you. (laughs) Um, And so that, that's definitely, that gets tricky. Um, And I'm glad that, that we've moved away from that system because, you know, now it's, it is less emotional. It's like, you know, you either make this, this cut or you don't. And, and it, and it is cutthroat. And I do, I don't know if the numbers that we have are like perfect. I'm actually pretty sure they're not, <laughs> but it, you at least know ahead of time what, what you're up against. So um, you can plan accordingly. Um, but mostly, I, I guess, um, mostly I think the, the biggest challenge that I faced in both times being cut was just um, effective communication in, in uh, through that process. Um, I think how that is communicated to an athlete can make a huge impact on, on that athlete's trajectory after that um, and where they decide to go from there. Um, and particularly the first time, you know, I was 20, I wasn't that mature. I didn't really understand the system or what was going on. And so I didn't really understand why 
um, those decisions were being made. And so that, that made it hard because it, it just kind of feels like you're not being believed in, um, which wasn't necessarily the case. Like, I think it was very much a case of them deciding they didn't want to support college athletes anymore. And I was kind of on this like hybrid development team of college athletes and, and they just cut all of us. So I think it was just more like a administrative decision. Um, but that just wasn't very clear at the time. So that was challenging. Um, the second time I, I personally felt it was unfair because I had mono during the Olympic year. Um, and I was meeting the results I needed to before I got sick. Um, and once I got sick, I was not. And so I didn't make what they felt was the criteria that I should have made, um, which I can't argue with. I didn't, but I felt that I showed promise when I was healthy. Um, and so I guess that's where my beef was with that. Um, and, you know, I guess those are some of the hard decisions those coaches have to make. And I don't know what, what, you know, kind of budgetary restraints they were facing or, you know, what other upper level, um, decisions or like, uh, you know, things were being put on them. I I'm not really clear about that. Um, but I do, it is, it's super challenging and I think it's a part of elite sport and I don't know if there's a way to get out of it in any sport, but I do think the better the communication, the better the outcome. And I do think it is nice to just know ahead of time the expectation that you um, are supposed to meet. It at least makes it very clear. But yeah, those are my thoughts anyway. <laughs> no, I, I think like, I also, like, I, I might not agree a hundred percent with, um, with like, 100 percent uh objective criteria because i think it'll go to also back you into a corner but yeah. but at the but at the same time but at the same time communication it this isn't just a sport thing yeah this is like <laughs> this is in the business world this is in academia this is in uh the field in 1800 years when i finish my education and then work <laughs> for six months before retiring and putting my feet up but it's the same right like you know like with medical professionals when people are facing like existential like existential crises like they're they're they're, they're yeah. life's crisis right if you're faced with a cancer diagnosis or some a terminal illness diagnosis and the doctor or the medical team just totally botches the communication of that right like, not only does it uh, i affect affect you and your recovery or or your situation but it can be devastating and as an athlete like that is so apt what you just said it is so important for coaches in any level if you're a college coach if you're a club coach but you're you're there's a trip you're going to make world the world junior programming if someone's right on the bubble of that like just doesn't quite make the world juniors for the first time or doesn't make the under 23 world championships like these development athletes like coaches and and people in those positions need to take the time take a deep breath and just pick up the phone and have a have a good conversation with these people because you never know who your future leaders of the team will be and you don't know how important those conversations are for maybe the yeah. coach that has a lot of those conversations or goes like oh god i got so many other things on my plate i got to respond to emails this isn't that important totally understandable but for the athlete that's right on the bubble and thought they were going to make world juniors and then didn't or, or something or thought they were going right. to make the u.s team like you thought and then didn't um if you also botch the communication piece oh man it is it is completely devastating and what's the saddest about that is it's completely unnecessary. Right. It takes, yeah. it takes five, 10 minutes. It's a little uncomfortable, but you know what? Buck up. It's your job. So I think, uh, I think that's a good lesson for, for everybody in the sport. Yeah. That's why we pay those, you know, ski team coaches, the big bucks, right? Yeah. 
That's why they get $49,999. You know, yeah. never see their family. I mean, that's why. Yeah, exactly. So, no, but, but it's, you know, it, go, it honestly goes both ways too. Like, I think I've learned how to be a better communicator as an athlete too. Um, you know, there, there are times when you need to, when you also need to approach the, those tough conversations yeah. with, with coaches. And so I think it's something that's definitely overlooked in development of both athletes and coaches is just like teaching you know, good, good communication skills. I think it's, it's incredibly valuable. For sure. And I want I want to ask you guys, like with your team on the U S team, is that something that you guys work on? And is that discussed like openly? Cause I know for us, like when Justin Wadsworth came into our team as the head coach in, in the 2010, 2011 season. So the, yeah, yeah. 2010, 2011 season, he, he took over the reins and became head coach. This was something he invested heavily in, especially in the early years of his head coaching job. Yeah, that like, we discuss and we take hard conversations and then we kind of it, it sounds almost like so corporate out like you know like let's have like a mission statement and let's <laughs> let, let's kind of have like some pillars like these are your columns your pillars that you have yeah. to, like they're unmoving and it sounds kind of like fluffy but honestly one of those we only came up with three and one of them was like fast pointed communication yeah and when in those years if the athletes, staff, and support staff followed through with fast pointed communication, which we did, especially in those early years, yeah. Oh my God, is it so much easier to be an athlete? Is it so much yeah. easier to be staff? Is it so yeah. much easier just to be around the team? And I think a lot of our our results in that time, and we had a lot of great consistent results in that time, both for men and women. Um, you know, that I think that had a big impact. That he just like Justin yeah. just kept hitting us over the head with that. Like, remember this, if there's something that's bothering you, you have to say it. If you're not happy with how something is, you have to say it. But likewise, if you're really stoked with how something is, or you want to have anything, we, don't be afraid. Don't be meek. Don't be too Canadian. Just get out there and, <laughs> and say what you mean in a respectful way. You always have to respect. Right. It. We can't just fly off the handle right. like some sort of jackass, but, right. but, but I think it, it, made, it made a huge impact in, 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 in our, at that period. And then when we slipped with that, which we did over time, because that's something you have. It's a muscle. You can't, you yeah. can't just let it, it'll atrophy and then it'll let you down. And we took it for granted. No question. Our team did. And then, and we struggled not just on the results page, but like we had like some small growing pains in the team, not so much on yeah. the world team perhaps, but like on the development side of things yeah. and that sort of things like things started going sideways when you kind of got away from those, those, uh, those pillars. Like, uh, yeah. I don't know if that's something you guys work on in the U S team right now. Yeah, for sure it is. Um, you know, that was a big push, like, uh, you know, NGB wide with you and ski and snowboard, um, probably about, oh gosh, it's probably been three or four years since we started in on that. So I'm, I'm actually the athlete rep for cross country for us ski and snowboard. So I've been like pretty heavily involved in this, but it was a big, it, we called it the athlete project, but it's like been this big push to move us ski and snowboard to a more like athlete centered organization and taking into consideration, like the whole athlete and not just his or her results. Um, which is like, obviously, really important and, and also much easier said than done. Um, it, it is a long process, but, um, we have been like chugging along down that road and, and it has been super productive. Honestly, I, I think it has, you know, as you said, it's, it is a muscle and you have to constantly work at it. So there's definitely, you know, good moments and bad moments, but I definitely think it's something that we've put a lot more focus into in the last three years. And so, um, and you know, that was honestly one of my motivators to become an athlete rep was just to like help this 
group of young athletes coming up that's so strong to just hopefully never experience the thing, the negative things side of things that I did. Um, and you know, this type of thing is like clearly one of them. Um, and I do feel very strongly that we're moving in a good direction. And so I, I hope we can continue that. And I hope we don't, we don't take it for granted. And, um, I hope we can continue to kind of work, work on that muscle and, um, keep, keep it getting stronger. Cause it, it is kind of a, a constant battle for sure. Oh, that, that, that's, that's, yeah, that's super, it's super interesting. And super like, even in the best teams in the world, like I wish my wife, Kristen could come in here because she actually experienced that too with, uh, with the Norwegian ski team back in the days, you know, yeah. like in 2006, 2006, seven, the, the, the women's team, the Norwegian women's team wasn't like, was not functioning that well. Like the, yeah. the interpersonal relationships that they, they just, things were not functioning. They didn't feel like a team whatsoever right. and they, they did the same thing you just described and what we did too in in 2011 yeah. where you just like no we're gonna make this a focus we're gonna have those hard conversations and people are gonna feel supported enough to say what they mean and yeah. and just have it all out in the open and man that sort of legacy is something that continues uh, you know Kristen was involved in that change in the women's program in Norway and you look at it now and it's continuing and right, right. it continues, but it doesn't happen on its own. So it needs that, no. like that activation energy, but then it, it needs that training to keep that up. So you don't, you don't take it for granted. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And it'll be, you know, it is, it was helpful to have it kind of be a, a top down, uh, push because then it definitely pushed all the staff into it and like, not just our staff, but like ski and snowboard as a whole, um, as well as like coming from the bottom up with like you know Keegan and, and so many of the strong athletes that we had so we kind of had it coming from both directions which I think was super helpful but um yeah we have we ski and snowboard has a new CEO now so um this will be a big I think it'll be a big transition moment for us and hopefully that's not something that we lose in this transition and hopefully we can we can keep that piece going yeah no I really hope so too I want to I want to kind of drift us back into like the sporting the sporting arena um <laughs> Again, like this is just like people know your story on the results page, but it never ceases to amaze me. So you battle yourself back, back in the top 10 in 2018, fall of 2018. So the 2018-19 season for people following at home with the top 10, but you still finished the season, which was great. I mean, like you're 38th overall in the overall World Cup standings that 2019 season. That is solid. You have 175 World Cup points that year, which is more than ever in your career. Then... The next year, you know, things just like go crazy in 2020. I mean, you have 553 World Cup points that season, you know, oops, sorry. That's uh, one of my bosses calling my bad. Um, that's what I said, Rosie, this is heat bag productions over here. Um, <laughs> but it's like, a, it's like a, it's like a switch flip, really. I yeah. also know that like, technically you're always super strong athlete. You're always one to really fight, which is kind of like the American way, which is really cool. But technically in those years, as the results came, you also were skiing better. Technically, it, it's almost like it was a, it was like all paths converged. Yeah. And the path now is like, you are directed with your energy, even talking to you now, you seem so relaxed. You seem like <laughs> things are good and, and things are good. We can all agree to that when you're skiing. Well, you don't like life is just pretty darn sweet. Usually like you're not worried about all these stupid little things as much, but regardless, and then culminating last year, 2021 season, you finished the season fourth overall, 
but you have World Cup podiums all over the place. You're winning World Cups and you come into this season and what you did in Lillehammer last week, the way you skied, like results aside, like being on the podium in a 10K skate, being that close to like absolute legends of the sport, like, like Teresa and Frida now is making a real claim that she will be a legend of the sport as well in not so very long. But it's, um, yeah, like, like, can you talk about that? I just, I guess, like, I'm so impressed. And I, I want people to understand, like, how incredibly awesome it is that you can be a role model to show athletes that, like, if you want it and if you want to make changes, it is within your ability to do so. You need, you need some talent. Like, I'm sorry for the kids at home that are really, really bad. You know what? You had good numbers in your testing the whole way you know you have a high capacity like these are just some things you're strong like these i'm sorry there is we are we have some certain parts that you just can't ignore but regardless i'm so fascinated that things kind of came together technically as well later in your career it's not a big focus with you and eric like in the in the in the last four years let's say because there has been a change and i'm a technique dork for sure but especially (laughs) in skating Finishing yeah. your better, your hips are high. The all the energy is going where it needs to be going, especially in one or one skate. You guys can translate that again. Double dance. What's that called? That B two, B two, B two. Especially B <laughs> two, it's at an incredible level. And and I, I was just curious about that. Is that something that like you really really worked hard to to make a change, or that just kind of come on its own type thing? Yeah. Well, honestly, I'm so glad you said that because I I you know I've gotten a lot of questions of like, wow, how did you whatever return 32 and start like crushing everyone and um you know I think if you just look at results it like does look like that and you're like oh what the heck happened here but it you know you're like totally right like it really was just like perfect storm of everything like finally coming together for me um and both yeah like technique wise fitness wise just like where my personal life was at my mental state all those kinds of things just like really all like working out at at the right time. Um, but it's, it's, um, I do think it is nothing was a particular focus. Like I do think it was just kind of like a perfect storm, um, backed by a lot of long years of hard work. Um, and I think like Eric, particularly with Eric, like his philosophy and technique is a lot about just going out and skiing a lot, um, and getting the hours in and like playing around and like having just really stable training so that you're just really consistent and getting out there and having the energy to play. Um, and I think, you know, that was probably the biggest part of, about it for me. And like, I always like, like, we're like, Oh, you're so like, well, okay. Old for like having that kind of success. And the thing was like, I actually didn't learn to ski until I was 14 years old. So like the number of years I have been skiing, like, so, you know, 14 to age 30, we'll say that's 16 years. Like if you look at a Norwegian that starts at age three, 16 years of skiing, you know, they're 19, that's when they're having success. Yeah. That's Frida. So like, I always like to think about it of years I've spent studying skiing, which like in that perspective, like, I don't really feel, I mean, now I'm starting to feel like older and more experienced, but like for the first part of my world world cup career, like I was honestly still learning how to ski. Like I, I wasn't that well-versed in it. And I certainly didn't have like the training volume or training hours to, to back that. Um, and so I think it really has just been that kind of like 
like finally getting to like I had to up my training volume there was no question about that so like that takes a lot of energy doesn't leave a lot of like capacity to focus on technique or stuff like it's just survival so I had a lot of years of that um and then I finally got to a place where I was like stable enough and fit enough that like I could go out and distance ski and like actually think about what I was doing play with technique like carry speed over terrain you know ski with just more energy and like that sort of thing and after a couple years of of that like the world just started to open up for me and like it kind of you know really becomes like a steamroll effect because it's like you build confidence because you're more fit you build better technique because you're like out there practicing it all the time you build like kind of skills because you have the energy to play around in intervals with your teammates and and so like all just like really builds on itself and and I am I'm so thankful that Flora's technique model is designed that way because I do think a lot of coaches looked at me when I was like 18 and was just like, oh my God, like this girl's a mess. Like she clearly has some fitness, but like she cannot ski. And like, I just spent, I had so many coaches just like make me stand in front of a mirror and like do weird hip movements and stuff. And like, at some point you have to just learn to ski what your body is. And like, I mean, I definitely have like a different body than other people. And like, there are certain things my body can do and certain things it can't do. And I like really had to learn to just work with what I had and I do have strength and I needed to learn how to use it. That was part of it. And like, I needed to like understand just the way my movements are made. Um, and like floor was just so supportive and like letting me have that freedom to like figure out what my strengths were and like what my body could do. And, um, you know, just continually pushing me to like play with things and like, you know, see, see what different movements did and, um, you know, focus on, on technique in that sense. And so I think that was just like a great model for me and just worked really well. And, and his support through that has been great. So that's awesome. And I think like, I don't know if you guys, maybe Nat has, cause he's a journalist, but like, have you read, there's a, <laughs> like a dorky kind of like book from, I don't know when it was published, but it's called like once a runner. I'm like I'm a huge I read I've heard of it but I I have not read that okay well like the big like kind of like the big quote and it's like the trials of miles and it's true like if you want to be good at skiing guess what go skiing like yeah get out there and go skiing and and do it a lot and have that kind of curiosity like you said and the passion for it and then have good people in your corner that can support you of course you can't just go out there and do the trials of miles and skiing and then all of a sudden um, be skiing like, um, uh, yeah, whatever Kruger was skiing on in Davos or something, but yeah. you, but, um, I think there is a lot there. And I think of course, like having that person in your corner, like Eric has been for you. And I think it's been awesome. It's not just for you. I mean, Sadie, this not on, not recorded or anything, but we've chatted about that a lot, like meant a lot to, to Sadie meant a lot to Keegan. And, uh, of course, like Eric, Eric Bjornsson, like Sadie's brother too, and stuff and a number of other guys and gals, but but it is cool to have and important to have someone in your corner, no matter what. And that is, um, you know, that's also just the reality of, of top level sport. You need people to support you because, you know, when you're flying high, everyone looks like a hero. It's when things, <laughs> it's when, it's when times are tough that like you really can make those, those deep rooted lasting relationships. Cause that that's, that's when it matters. That's we, that's when yeah. you need people, need people around you. I was just going to say, it's like that, it's that 10,000 hours thing. You got to get to that 10,000 hours mark. And then you're, you know, then you're automatically a world champ. I'm pretty sure that's, that's my personal <laughs> training program. So um, oh, Matt, you got to start reading like the sport gene and all this other stuff, like that 10,000 hour thing. It's debunked completely. So. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, if I read the sports gene, I'm going to crush my dreams of becoming an Olympic champion. So, um, <laughs> okay. Leave that on maybe, the shelf. Yeah. Maybe, um, 
maybe I, I, I'd love to actually um, move to a question about sort of like this season in particular, because I mean, I know like Rosie, you had some really solid results last year, you know, particularly again, like going back to Davos when I think it was like you won both races, but also like, you know, the Norwegians were not around that season. So it's sort of like, you know, what, what was that going to look like this season when, you know, we're back to kind of semi-normal World Cup? And it seems like, you know, you've really proven that, like, those results last year were not just, like, you know, results minus Norway. They were, like, legit results or, you know, whatever you built on those for this season. But um, I know, like, you had sent out an email um, you know, so so for folks who are listening, like Rosie will um, send sort of a recap <laughs> of her races out to reporters after um, after like every uh, World Cup race. And um, one of the first races in in Finland on that first weekend in Ruka, um, you kind of made this comment about like your your confidence, I think, and sort of you know you'd spent a lot of time like skiing in a big group that weekend. And then um, you know I, I don't know. I guess I am really curious to hear a little bit about sort of like what it's been like for you just particularly over the past couple of seasons as you've kind of like advanced from like I imagine advanced from like a a place where a top 10 result was like something that was worthy of probably like celebration and champagne courts to like now you know after especially after like the first two weekends of racing this year it's like almost like finishing off the podium like you did this weekend um, just off the podium. It was like, you know, you, you kind of wrote that that was bittersweet for you where like, um, you know, I was sort of saying on the podcast yesterday, like, you know, I think American ski fans should be like rejoicing because again, who really cares about Davos World Cup when we're looking forward to the Olympics. And I, I'm, I'm curious just if you could talk a little about, bit about like how your kind of confidence level has evolved and if it's even been different for you just in this past weekend or two, kind of being able to build off those results from the first weekend where you really are coming from Alaska without much of a frame of reference, like, just felt like this past weekend, like you were seeing like someone who knew that you should be on the podium rather than like someone who's like racing, like, do I even belong here, you know, at all? But maybe I'm reading into that too much. <laughs> no, I, I think that's very spot on. Um, it, and it does kind of, it does ebb and flow. Um, and, you know, I, I think it is hard. I spent so much of my life, like just trying to, make make it work over here and like just score a point so I don't get sent home sort of thing um and you know that's obviously like not really skiing from a place of confidence and I have found that I build a lot of my confidence just in my training because that's I guess something that I have a lot more control over in my life and um something that I feel I have built a strong I I guess like routine or background of so like I I really understand myself when I'm training a lot like where I'm at um and what that means and so you know like I definitely knew that I was in in a place of good fitness coming into this year but like you said you know last year we didn't have the Norwegians we didn't I mean at least for some of the weekends we had like very few teams um and so I did still have that that question of like you know how do I stack up against the rest of the world and 
And on top of that, like I lost Sadie, who was my most consistent training partner um, throughout my whole career. Um, And so she was such like, you know, I think we were such great markers for each other. So even though I do get a lot of confidence from like my own personal training, I always had that kind of like one other marker, at least to like get a sense of like where where we were at. Um, And so I I did have a lot of questions in Ruka. um, And I think, you know, when you're racing in an individual start, it's a little easier to not question it because you're out there alone. But in the pursuit start, like, I definitely had a moment where I like, I wasn't at my max, but I also was too scared to make a move. Um, And I guess that's like what I meant from that comment is like, I just wasn't in a place to like, have the confidence to be like, I'm capable of more, let's make this move and see what's possible. Um, And so when I finished, I I regretted that because I think I had more in me um, than I showed that day. And so I guess that's where I was skiing from in Lillehammer, like, I wasn't going to take that for granted. And and I didn't. And then I landed on the podium. So I, I think I was right that I was capable of more in Ruka. And, and I hope that that's like a place that I can always ski from, but you know, it's never that linear. Like then of course, you know, in Davos, I'm like facing the, the pressure of the expectations from last year and knowing that like, and like Devin said, this was my first top 10. Like this has always been a great place for me. And so like, you know, you want even more and then you start questioning. And so it, it confidence is like a constant up and up and down battle and, and game and, and it's different for everyone where, where it comes from and like where it goes and how it comes back and how you like work with it. And so, and I think it's on, it's honestly something that's changed a lot throughout my career. Like what I got confidence from when I was 20 is a lot different now. And so it's like, I guess that's part of the challenge that I like is like always trying to figure that out and like what game is next. I need to play with myself to get myself to a place where I can ski, ski from confidence, like more consistently. And so, um, yeah, it's something I'm, I'm always working on and I'm sure I'm going to face a lot more up and down battles throughout the rest of this year. And, and I hope that I can like, yeah, stay, stay strong there and like keep working on, on that mental game and, and build confidence um, and keep it coming throughout the season. It's not just going to be in skiing, Rosie. I hate to tell you. You're going to have to use those skills with your, if you decide to have children and you have toddlers around, you're going to have to use yeah. those skills. If you're, sure. if you're going to, put that Dartmouth degree to work. You're going to have to use that too. Uh, <laughs> that confidence sort of thing, but no, but it is, I think it is. Um, I, I, it, but it is really cool what you said to be able to make those adjustments, like from one week to the rest to the next. And that, that separates you from a lot of other skiers. That's just the reality. Like that, like, of course you belong the, the athletes that are able to make those adjustments in short order, uh, even after like solid racing, like you were racing great in Ruka, but nope, you make a small adjustment, you make, and then bang, the next week you're on the podium in such a, like in what a fight. I mean, that was like one of the best races I've seen in years that, that, uh, 10 K skate that you were involved in like 11 seconds off like that. Um, and then today, and then speaking of that confidence, like bringing it back to Davos, which was just this past weekend. Um, like, I mean, if you weren't going to win that sprint, uh, then I'm an idiot because, well, I kind of argued that maybe Dahlquist, cause she's on such a, on such a great yeah. uh, form that maybe she could have nipped you at the line or something. But, you know, I was talking with like Eric Branstall and he's like, no man, Rosie was going so fat. I get, it was over almost, but you have to have confidence to make those kind of moves. And I think that's like, yeah. I think that was just super awesome to see and keep that going for the rest of the season. I mean, 
success, you know, as you know, better than me. I mean, like success breeds success. And if you're not trying, you're dying. You got to have that fight in you and you got to take those, those chances. And those aren't chance. I guess that's what I'm saying. Those aren't chances when you're at the level you're at now. Do you know what I mean? Like maybe yeah. like attacking over that hill or skiing with that kind of like fire and intensity early in the, the race in Lillehammer, maybe when you were 23 or something that could be looked at as like taking a chance, but you know yourself so good now you, you believe in yourself, but you also have the, you also have the results to back you up. Like you're not taking a chance in doing that. You're actually just deciding. Like you said, I'm deciding yeah. that this is the strategy I'm going to use and I'm going to go for it and it's going to yeah. work. And it, and yeah. it has, been, which is great. It's been, it's been awesome. <laughs> I, I, was, I was just going to add, add that, you know, Rosie, if you do get to a point in the season where you're, you're questioning yourself, I think you can just come back or you can get Devin to really kind of set you straight in your confidence level. Things will be good. <laughs> yeah. I'd, that's no problem. She doesn't need me. She doesn't need anybody. Rosie's just like, she's been crushing. And the biggest thing that, that I think, like I've said, I'm just a broken record, but if you can ski and you can put together kilometer after kilometer of good skiing where your energy is going in the directions that it's supposed to be going and like good things will happen. It's not that hard. Like skiing honestly, isn't that hard. It's as hard as you make it to be. Do you know what I mean? And it takes a long time and it's hard to get all those pieces in place. But when you have the pieces that Rosie has in place now, it's really just about getting out of the way of yourself and executing. And, and you've been able to do that. It's been awesome. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> so I don't know. I think we can like, I mean, we could probably go on and on and on forever, but looking ahead, we'll just try and wrap this thing up quick. Looking ahead, you, what's the plans over Christmas? And then of course the Olympics are, are a big highlight. And I, I just wanted to ask you, I've been, really curious about this Rosie like growing up in Park City area high al higher altitude Davos is a special place you've had great results there anytime there's been races at high altitude you've been good like really good and now you have Beijing which is high, high altitude yeah the thing is what's cool and this is what makes women's racing really exciting it's like people that are listening it's like don't put pressure on her like that's not what I'm doing because like you know who else is good at altitude Terezo Yohug's really great at altitude. You know who else is good at altitude? Frida Carlson's really good at altitude. Jesse's good at altitude. There's plenty of women that are good at altitude, yeah. but Rosie is one of those few women that is great at altitude. And I'm, I'm just curious what your plans are over Christmas and looking ahead to Beijing. Like when you saw that, of course, you probably weren't that psyched that they were in Beijing, <laughs> like everyone, but, um, but when you heard that they're going to be at 1800 meters, like, what was that reaction like? And now that that becomes a reality, we're only a few months out from that. So how, how are you feeling about that whole thing? Yeah, um, you know, like going back to the, after the 2018 Olympics and when I was like, yeah, trying to figure out what I was going to do. Um, that was honestly a huge part of the equation. Like, um, particularly like, so my other my other teammate, Rosie Frankowski, um, she's also quite good at altitude. And she was one of the ones that I went on a lot of soul searching skis with. Um, and we were both like, okay, Beijing. Yeah, maybe that's, I don't know, whatever, <laughs> but altitude. Yeah. All right. That's like, that's something that like, we think that we, you know, can, can have success for us. And so that was like, you know, part of our decision to like double down on this effort and really, really go for it. Um, and so it's definitely been something that's on my mind. Um, not to mention that the courses in Beijing are actually designed by the same people that did soldier hollow. Um, that's so awesome. that leads perfectly into my, um, 
next point of, so I'm headed back there. <laughs> um, I, I decided that Soldier Hollow was like, yeah, the best preparation that I was going to get without going to Beijing, um, which nobody's been able to do. Um, so yeah, so I'm headed back to Utah um, and I did, well, I did like one and a half training camps there this summer. It was supposed to be two, but the wildfire smoke kind of <laughs> messed up one pretty bad. But um, anyway, so that's kind of been like my game plan all along is just to like spend some focused time at Soldier Hollow um, and to try and get used to like racing at that altitude and on courses that are like hopefully designed similarly um, and maybe similar snow, that sort of thing. Um, so I'll be there over Christmas and I am sitting out the tour uh, in to, to train at Soldier Hollow, um, and to focus on kind of Olympic preparations. So, um, so yeah, I'll be there. And it's also the only chance I get to see Eric, my club coach, my personal coach, um, this whole season. So that was also really important to me that I get to have like some time training with him and like working on, you know, the, the fine details, um, fine tuning things for the Olympics. Uh, and he just knows me better than anyone else. So I think he, is the, the best person to have around to like help, you know, manage the training and the energy and the little nuances of, of getting ready for an event like that. Um, so I'll be doing that and then I'll um, return to the world cup for the France world cups. And I think it's the end of January, mid to end of January. Um, so yeah, that's my plan. <laughs> that is an awesome plan. That is music to my ears. I think <laughs> I'm so incredibly stoked. You made that decision. I, people just don't understand you understand because you grew up around there and uh, I've trained down there so much, but like getting those efforts at the race elevation when it's right at the limit, it's everything. It's, it's everything. And then to build on yeah. your confidence with people that you believe in and you really enjoy spending time with. And it's an area it's part of the world that means a lot to you. I mean, that this is like, <laughs> this is, it's amazing. It's an amazing sounds like an absolutely amazing plan i'm really thrilled you're doing it because like that's you you know like uh, hans christopher holland like people that follow skiing really well like there's a norwegian men skier hans christopher holland and like some people have been giving a bit of backlash because he's stepping away from the world cup he's he's not going to race again on the world cup until the olympics and people are like you're crazy like people are saying crazy and he's like no i'm not crazy this is my plan i believe in it and he's and he it's gonna work for him i mean you gotta do yeah. things you believe in and especially when they're at altitude i think you are going to see those small things those small details will pay off big time in beijing more than well the last four olympics anyways it's, it's going to have a huge impact so that sounds like an awesome plan can, can i yeah. actually ask sorry go ahead Rosie. yeah go for it so i'm just curious to throw in one more question here about the olympics i mean I, and i feel like we talked about this a little bit but like um you know, normal years, I mean, I mean, I don't think it's sort of unprecedented to have an Olympics where like folks don't have a lot of experience or even maybe any experience on the race courses, just because, you know, sometimes the test events, like particularly when the Olympics are in Asia, it's like people don't want to go. Um, but I'm also just curious, sort of like how much of an unknown is sort of everything about Beijing still for you? Um, and sort of how much do you worry about that, I guess? Or, or is it, I mean, I don't know, that's maybe not, I guess I'm more just curious, sort of like, how you're thinking about it and what, what you're sort of still curious to learn when um you know you you also understand that probably pretty much every other team is probably in a pretty similar boat it's not like you know norway is getting unfettered access to the beijing sort of compound and olympic courses either 
Yeah. Um, yeah, that's a good question. I, I honestly have no idea what access other teams have had and what that's been like. Um, I'm sure there have been ways to get people there one way or another, if you put enough effort into it. Um, um, the U S team, we have not had people, the Nordic side anyway, hasn't had people on the ground since I think Grover went like in the fall of 2019 on a visit. Um, so that's been a while now, but we have had like, there have been test events there, like snowboard cross just finished a test event there. So like we're, we've been able to get some info from them about kind of just what it might be like, um, and stuff like that. So that's helpful for sure. Um, we also get like, you know, we have like kind of town hall meetings where we get to like ask all these questions and they, both the ski team and the USOPC like share what information we do know. And it, it has been slow coming. It hasn't been the same as, as like the 2018 Olympics. There are still a lot of unknowns. Um, and there's definitely some things that I worry about for sure. Um, but it is, it is coming and I do, feel confident that our staff has been really um, both between the USOPC and US ski and snowboard. Like they have been working as best they can to get all the information and, and to relay it for us and to prepare for all the potential unknowns that that might be coming our way. Um, so it is, yeah, it's, it's definitely a work in progress still. Um, and I, I'm definitely somebody that likes to know all that information. I like to kind of understand what I have control of and what I don't have control of and come to terms with those things beforehand. Um, so, you know, those are things that I, I will be seeking out over, you know, until we leave. Um, and, uh, and it's honestly another reason that I'm really excited to be going back to Park City. You know, the ski team is based there. So I have a lot of resources in terms of like getting information about the Olympics and just preparing with, with the support staff that will actually be in Beijing as well. So like, you know, our strength coach and, uh, medical staff, physical therapists, that sort of thing. Um, nutritionists. Yeah. All that stuff. So like I'll be touching base with all of them over the next month in, in park city and working with them to like, yeah, kind of fine tune some of those details too, as we learn more about some of the stuff that we might experience there. So yeah, part of the plan for sure. <laughs> cool. Well, Devin, you want to throw any other questions or should we let Rosie go to bed and, you know, we gotta yes, let Rosie. We gotta let Rosie get off. Get off the screen time. It's too much blue lights. Not good. So, uh, <laughs> no, but we'll. You know, we'll have to ask you back on some other time, Rosie. After just like breaking down a race weekend, some other time. But regardless, it's so great to see you. We didn't saw you very, very briefly in Lillehammer when I was helping yeah. with the and you were winning World Cup medals and stuff. But um, wish you the best of luck and have an amazing holiday. And say hi to North America for me. It's been a couple. Yeah. Of years been back, so I look forward. Oh to gosh. That. Yeah, it's so bad. Oh my god. Man, that's brutal. Just stop it. Like just stop it already. <laughs> so hopefully this summer. I'm crossing my fingers that uh, this summer I'll finally get back to Canada. It feels so weird to not have been back there. But yeah, gosh. Great to take the time. It's awesome. Great to see you. And uh yeah. moving forward. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me on. And yeah, thanks for all the all the kind thoughts. <laughs>